you have to remember, and this is really, really difficult to, to remember sometimes because we're so oriented towards optimizing conditions and that's what makes humans stay alive, right? We're always optimizing conditions, so to speak. So we always want to not deal with the stuff that's not good. But often that, that message, when it's heard, doesn't have to pop up anymore, right? Because they are not current messages for the most part. Chronic, chronic holds are not current. So they, are, they have installed themselves over repetition or, or repetition of coping. So when the body goes, but, 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 we need to be vigilant. And you go, no, no, stop it, stop it, right? The body goes, but I can't stop it. I have to keep you safe. We, we, have, to, we have to be very careful. And you're going, oh, shut up. Everything's fine, right? Like, so that's kind of how it would play out if we had a cartoon. But the moment you turn towards that sensation and say, okay, I hear you. Thanks for making me aware. Then the body can go, oh, thank God she finally heard me. <laughs> right? And then the thing that used to be such a niggling, pestering thing, like you said, is almost pleasurable because that part of you, right, that part in the nervous system goes, ah. And then that pleasure that you're feeling, and there we come back full circle to why did I tell you all of that? Um, the moment you, you kind of release the hold on these things, mm -hmm. the energy mm -hmm. gets freed, mm -hmm. right? And because we have limited amount of energy, anywhere where you have a knot or a hold or contraction, you are trapping energy, so to speak, that's not available for anything else. And so very much like when, when a muscle knot releases, when a psycho-emotional or psychosexual hold releases, then it's like super pleasurable because it's the, the energy kind of fizzes up and is available again for feeling and for enjoyment and for vitality. So um, over time, as you kind of track these sensations and then open them, there's like all pockets of pleasure available from just the release of the of the knot. I used to do long form nonlinear sessions. After I had a bunch of not so fun stuff happen over the years, amongst them my house burning down and uh, my previous teaching partner dying in a horrible accident and some stuff. I mean there was you know there was a period of uh, not so fun stuff and I would have to practice with a bucket next to me because eventually I would hit like the deeper layers of that stuff and I have, I, I tend to throw up very easily. Um, and you know, as you know, there's whole traditions of plant medicines or whatever where purging is considered the only way to deal with it, right? And there's something to be said about it because it's that stuck stuff, but it's not always pleasant and you don't want to feel like that. But it's a fairly normal response to some really old stuff being popped. Now, the chronic holds or old injuries that are still in your body. And you said that right to begin with, that you have like an enormous amount of trauma stuck around your injury. And so, of course, when you talk about that and you talk about it in a controlled, you know, kind of supportive environment, it can loosen itself. And that's the whole idea. Now, you have to always remember that no one will push you ever here, right? And that it can unravel itself as it wants to. 
And anytime it feels like you need to put the handbrakes on, so to speak, um, you just rest till the body equilibrates and then you'll start again. So there's nothing wrong with feeling bad um, on occasion when it lifts and you can feel a bit more freedom afterwards. Would you say you had a bit more space later? So then we're good. Yeah. But we'll just... You know, it's not, you don't, there's nothing to worry about because it's not like I'm throwing you off the balcony here or something. Right? It's like very, very gentle excavation. And for many people, they don't even realize that stuff has shifted till weeks after a workshop. And then I get emails, oh my God, I just went home for the first time and I had no reaction to my whatever, you know, niece, nephew, father, whatever, or, you know, whatever, random stuff. It's, it, it's super subtle sifting via the bodies so you know you do you do only as much as you want to and you trust that your body does the rest just relax your body your body knows what to do so the less you interfere or race against quicker it will wash through you don't have to sensitize to the meaning right so there's a difference between something happening and you knowing what it means. So you don't sensitize to the meaning. So you don't go, oh, three years old. <laughs> In the woods, fell over a rock. You know, you don't, that, that's, not, that's not sensitization. All you need to do is feel that there's something there and continue moving. It's just... You just go along with what the body wants to do, right? That, that's all you need to do. Sometimes there's no content whatsoever, you know, because sometimes there's just no content whatsoever. There's like whole strata of experience that are actually just, you know, bland, let's say. So there's nothing you need to do. You're just allowing the body to move. And then ever so often you'll hit something. Right? And then that will have some content, either physical sensation, an emotion, a thought, any combination thereof. Um, or this is also a good one, when you, when you hit that one, in, when you do learn linear for longer periods of time, you hit that utter boredom. <laughs> have you had utter boredom? Yes. Utter boredom is like when you understand how the nervous system works, after boredom is like the equivalent of having struck gold. <laughs> and what I mean by that is after boredom is the ceiling to the experience. Right? And what I, what another way of saying that is all the stuff that's really worth diving into is typically sealed with this glossy blandness the numbness or the, the, the kind of, you know, freeze response of, of years past. And so when you have utter boredom happening or you start yawning a lot or you can't be bothered anymore, that's kind of the sign to just go, okay, here it comes, you know, keep on moving, hang on tight, because then typically the next thing that happens is something pops up. Yeah. So... The sensitizing aspect is simply that you allow yourself to follow whatever shows up. That's the sensitizing. Sensitizing is not the same as distinctions.
So sensitizing is simply being able to hear what's, what, what's there or feel what's there. Distinctions is um, equating certain, certain sensations with certain things. So for instance, um, when you've done enough embodiment, you'll be able to go, oh, that feeling, let's say over here on the right, um, that means shame, let's say, whatever, right? You go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that sensation, right? And then you can go, oh, what am I having shame about? Like I'm, I'm making, you know, you don't think that clearly typically, but you could, you could go, I know that feeling. Last time I had that feeling was when X happened. And then you start kind of scanning your environment till you go, oh, yeah. So that can be quite useful when you really go deep into somatic practice. We're not going that deep into somatic practice here. We're just doing what needs to be done so the system becomes more permeable and the balance between go and flow is reestablished. And then we can, you know, we, we can awaken the all layers of the body, from the subtle to the gross, so to speak. The only way that you really get deeply into your own material is you do everyday practice and you keep a bit of a journal. And then, it, then over a period of time, you can go, oh, every time this happens, then this happens next. But for that, you have to have regular, ongoing, consistent practice where you become kind of the cartographer of your own symbols and you know like you have your own legend so to speak of 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 things that can happen because you've tracked it over time and that takes some time yeah the clenching is a function of doing too much of it at a time where it's no longer appropriate for the body so not all mental activity automatically produces a clench and a, you know, kind of dysfunction in the lower body. There's a lot of it that's just naturally such because that's what requires, what is required. So for instance, if I'm making you stand up and do hip motions, which we'll do on day three, we'll work a lot with the hips um, and stuff, then what happens naturally is all your attention goes down, right? You need a lot of energy and attention in the lower body and you'll get a lot of like blood and energy and attention and feeling in the lower body. And then that often means there isn't a lot of, you know, very strong analytical um, thinking. That's not a problem. You're not going dumb from doing hip circles. <laughs> the same way you don't necessarily go numb and disordered from thinking, right? That's why I'm saying we have to be very careful that we don't like have value judgments around that, right? It's completely okay to allocate all your energy up here because you need it there. It's also completely okay to allocate all your energy down there. Like for instance, during really good sex, you don't have much happening in your mind. That's not a problem, right? It's just a matter of where do you need it? The problem is when you are habituated to only having it up there and you're tired or it's gone on for too long and your body is no longer capable of just producing it 
naturally up there and it's you start having tension patterns to keep the energy up there but to push a bit harder or to you have a lot of overload happening so everything down here gets tight to keep everything up here going right i'm doing it as i'm speaking so you can hear my voice is starting to look very different sound very different because i'm squeezing my entire lower body in an attempt to produce that now if i go like this my voice immediately calms down because I just dropped the energy back down. And that's what you want to be able to do is get the energy where you need it, release it from there so it can, you know, flow equally. So the clenching, the, the, the ways to work against the clenching is have equally strong workout on your lower body as you have on your upper body. And if you don't have that, then you will have to increase practices that bring relaxation and uh, aliveness and fullness in the lower body, which is why this is called awakening the pleasure body, because a lot of people have that. So you do all the practices that bring you down there, and then you have both available and you can go back and forth as needed. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing is that you can reduce the overload aspect so that the tension aspect isn't activated. So how do you re reduce the overload aspect? Well, you can decrease external stimulus, right? That's fairly easy to do. Don't put all the bright lights on. Don't have the TV, uh, the blow dryer, the radio and your phone going while you're scrolling through Instagram and talking to your boyfriend or something, right? That's a fairly easy thing to do. Um, I was, you know, I said that, I don't know when I said that, and sometimes in the last couple of days, multitasking is highly overrated for the brain. The brain doesn't like multitasking. It cuts energy because it has to constantly slice. And so you can reduce that, and that automatically creates less bracing in the body. And then you can, of course, also reduce that crazy mental stuff that's happening. And that's typically best done with a combination of actually lower body practices and, and movement and some good old-fashioned meditation. Yeah, nothing wrong ever with learning how to quiet your mind a bit. Yeah. Yes, well, you can also actively work with, like we did today with Steve, right? You did, we'll do some more of that tomorrow, actually, where we actively work with pulling up and letting go, right? So that you can learn the distinctions around that chronic tension pattern versus acute tension pattern versus relaxing areas that are not needed for the activity. Because one of the things is most activities we've learned we've learned under duress. So a way of saying that is he had you do all the stuff today, right? And if you are not super clued into your body, your body actually does different things than what you think it's doing. And now if you then get, you know, fixed on that instead of relaxing, you build a tension pattern into the activity. And then you might learn the movement, but you have the tension pattern of the panic of not doing it right or not knowing what you're doing and wanting to look good while you don't know what you're doing. And now that's built in forever and ever. Now you have a chronic tension pattern around the performance of a simple activity. And so you can learn how to 
reduce those tension patterns by noting them and letting them go. And then only the activity remains. But ideally you learn these things in a relaxed way, but that's not always easy. So yeah, it will go away and you can also actively relax it. And nonlinear movement is, is designed to actively relax it. Tomorrow will be a whole day around releasing stuff from your body, mind and soul. So tomorrow we'll work with active release in all different kinds of ways. Tomorrow is the day of exorcisms, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> it depends on the practice and it depends on the practitioner. Right? So, so let's put it this way, you know, I've had tantric training since I was 16 and I've done an enormous amount of practice and I was only allowed to do sexual practice when my body was relaxed and open and, and had conductivity in a channel practices, side channels, being able to know what I'm doing with the chakras, being able to keep my attention steady, being able to stay embodied even under very severe uh, circumstances, so to speak, being able to keep the tongue where it needs to go, the eyes where it needs to go, uh, you know, track all different kinds of things upside down, sideways, and keep the heart open. And only then was I allowed to do sexual tantric practice. And in most proper traditions, that takes years. And of course, not many people want to do years of that kind of practice. So nowadays, you get kind of, you know, Mac, Mac Tantra practices, <laughs> um, where, where essentially the idea is if you just push hard enough, something will open and you'll pop and it will be fine. And that does happen, you know, for some people. And then some people you see for the rest of their lives in any workshop where they have to stand with another person, they go like, like this every time. They feel a bit of energy moving through their entirely fried central channel. Um, and that's an injury, right? That, that's an actual energetic injury. But for other people, because they were prepared and they did, they did all the preliminaries, so to speak, they're wide open and it's very good and they can engage very fully. So it, 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 it's not these practices are bad and these practices are good. It's like you need to know your system. So a good rule of thumb is if you have any sexual trauma, you don't want to do tantric sexual practice till you've worked the trauma out of your body because your trauma pattern will very conveniently uh, redirect itself towards the practice in a way that you're still re-traumatizing yourself while you think you're now spiritual versus, uh, and you, you know, people, I, ugh, I used to work with people at sexual ritual abuse and very often in sexual ritual abuse you will find that people found gurus that exactly behaved like their original aggressors but with a spiritual, uh, you know, like whatever, powdered sugar coating. Um, so you have to be very careful that when you enter, particularly in the sexual domain where you are opening the subtle body, right? Because it's different when you do, let's say, yoga. You're not, you're not allowing somebody through the layers of your subtle body and into your actual body, right? In, in a yoga class, I hope. Uh, you know? But when you do 
sexual practice, tantric practice or Taoist practice, you are actually inviting people into layers of existence that you might not even be aware of. And if those layers have scar tissue, injury, trauma, unresolved stuff, uh, your practice will attach to that. And then your practice will be connected with the previous injury. And if you're really lucky, it pops open and then scars over a bit less. But if you're not that lucky, it pops open and scars over harder. So, the, but that's, to, that's not to say that any of those practices are bad practices or not appropriate practices. They might just not be appropriate for that person's body. Right. And often in, in, you know, in sexual instructions, everybody's, everybody's got skin in the game, so to speak, right? Because there's so much attached to it and you're supposed to look good and be spiritual and breathe the right way and do the right hand posture. And, and I'll tell you something, when you go into the higher tantras, none of that's even required. You're just wide open bliss in, in, in total connection. But that means you have to have form before then. And if the form is compromised, you don't get past a certain stage. And that's often what you see. People just try harder, you know, more. Three partners, four partners, whole fist in, you know, <laughs> finger in the ear, whatever. Right? Like it just gets like weirder and weirder and weirder. In, in the sense that some sensation needs to be produced to feel like the thing is still intact. And very often, when I've worked with people who've had some real injury in that way, you have to take it all the way back to basic. So basic that people freak out because they no longer feel special. Yeah. Whereas like all they're allowed to do is hold hands for a year, you know, <laughs> and gently, you know, caress each other or something because it's so extreme. I mean, that those are, we're talking extreme cases. So um, it's not good or bad. It's just you have to seriously... The way you know if something's working is essentially your body's more open, you're more relaxed, all your real friends think that you're way better off, um, your life becomes more abundant, joyous, your body is healthier, your skin glows, and you actually no longer feel like you need to do special things because like, life is just incredible as it is. That's when you know you do really good sexual practice. right? If that's not the case, I would re-evaluate. <laughs> And uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's a guideline. There's much more to it. <laughs>